morning to the book of Acts chapter 1. Sunday morning we're studying the book of Acts and obviously new in our study given the fact that we're still in chapter 1. If you're with us this morning and you don't have a Bible, there are men coming up the aisles and they've got lots of Bibles. And if you just wave and get their attention, they'll put a Bible in your hand. It will be marked to our passage for your convenience. And then please, if you don't own a Bible, that Bible is a gift from your Creator to you today. And He wants everyone to have a Bible and to know His Word. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. The former account I made, Luke says, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his sufferings by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during forty days and speaking the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together. Now, here's our purposes this morning. And being assembled together with them, the apostles, he, that is Jesus, commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own hands, and he brings them back on subject, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for every single blessing and every single provision into our lives that is ours because of Jesus and his death upon that cross and his burial and his resurrection and our faith in him. Lord, we do not want to live even five minutes of time, let alone long months or years, separated in any significant way from the fullness of the life that Jesus has purchased for us. And so we pray that you would use this time this morning in these verses to make sure that that's not happening in one of the most significant areas of the Christian life in any of our lives, Lord. And we pray that you'd speak to us wonderfully from this passage and that you would minister to us. And then, Lord, that you would confirm your word with accompanying signs and wonders as needed in each of our lives. We do pray that you would bring that Austria team, our friends, our brothers and sisters, back home safe and sound to us on Wednesday. Keep them healthy in the meantime. We continue to pray for John and Linda in Cambodia and what the day and the next night will hold for them. And we ask that you would continue to be all that they need to be, their strength, their love, their wisdom, Lord, your glory on their lives, and continue to do everything that you've taken them over into Cambodia to do. And we pray, Lord, that in some significant way they would have a sense today of the fact that they're being prayed for from this place and that they are deeply loved and appreciated. We pray for these final needs in our children's ministry, and we ask that you would touch the final hearts that are part of the team that you're putting together, Lord, and allow us to go full strength into this wonderful season of ministering to your youth and to your children. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. This morning we come to one of the great truths concerning the Christian life, and it is what is described by Jesus himself as the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And the Bible that you have on your lap, 
There is, depending on whoever is the publisher of that Bible, the book of Acts is typically described in one of two ways, entitled in one of two ways, either the Acts of the Apostles or the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Both of them are correct in their own way as long as we recognize that if the title is the Acts of the Apostles, then it is a record of the Acts of the Apostles only because of the Holy Spirit and the experience that they had with the Holy Spirit that Jesus describes in this passage, an experience known as the baptism with the Holy Spirit. There is no book of Acts apart from the Holy Spirit. There is no book of Acts apart from the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And so it's no wonder Jesus begins the book by speaking to us about this thing called the baptism with the Holy Spirit. You notice that Jesus commanded in verse 4 the disciples not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait until they had received what he referred to as this baptism with the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you write in your Bible, but you would do no harm to your Bible if you circled those words, not to depart, and then you circled that word, wait, as he refers to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because that do not depart and that wait is saying a lot about the importance of the Holy Spirit to Christian service and to the Christian life. You think about it. The apostles have been with Jesus for three and a half years, morning, noon, and night. They've heard every teaching he taught. They heard every parable that he taught. They saw every miracle that he performed. They saw every leper that had been cleansed of his leprosy, every person raised from the dead. They knew what it was like to listen to him speak to a group of people in a public setting and how he handled a group communication. They were able to witness firsthand what it was for him to sit down one-on-one -on -one with another person in their presence and then listen to him, him minister to them in the uniqueness or the greatness of their need. And then on top of that, as if the three and a half years weren't enough following his death, his burial, his resurrection, he spends another 40 days with them, giving them a graduate class on what comes next after his ascension, preparing them further for the service that is going to fill all of the book of Acts. And I would have thought after those three and a half years and after those 40 days and the, those 40 nights, that Jesus would have said something like this to the disciples. You've heard everything I have had to say. You've seen every miracle. You've seen how I conducted myself with people. You've seen all of my actions. You have seen me in every conceivable setting, in every conceivable situation. And, and, you've, and you've heard all of it is that I've taught, and if you're not ready now, then you're never going to be ready. Get out there and start preaching the gospel and telling people about me. Now, that's the speech I would have expected. But I don't get that speech. And that's not the speech that Jesus gave to the disciples. Instead, what they got was, wait, wait. Don't preach for me. Don't evangelize for me. Don't do anything on my behalf until you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. So how important is the baptism with the Holy Spirit? Well, it tells me that whatever this baptism with the Holy Spirit is, nothing else can replace it in the Christian life. Nothing else can replace it. Not natural talent, not training, not education, not even Bible knowledge, not life experience, not self-discipline, not determination, and it's true. Nothing replaces the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the life of a Christian. 
And I want you to notice in verse 4, it's very important that this baptism with the Holy Spirit isn't just something that the Pentecostals came up with in the last century, but Jesus tells us that it was promised by the Father. And I speak affectionately of the Pentecostals and their emphasis upon the things of the Holy Spirit. But sometimes, because of such kind of divisions within the body of Christ, there's this group that believes this, and this group doesn't want to believe that, and this and all, and pretty soon you get what many of us grew up in, at least in the early years of our Christian life, that if anybody talked about the baptism with the Holy Spirit, it automatically meant that they were Pentecostal and that somehow they'd come up with something kind of extracurricular from the Bible. And Jesus says, no, that isn't the case at all. All they discovered was something here that was already promised by the Father. And the Father had spoken of it in the Old Testament in the book of Joel, chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. Notice Jesus' description of this thing called the baptism with the Holy Spirit in verse 8. It is the Holy Spirit but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That word upon is another word that is worth circling. In fact, it's so worth circling that I may grab a pen here and just circle it in your Bible and take a pause in the passage. Very important to recognize. The baptism with the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit coming upon us as Christians. In the New Testament, there are three Greek prepositions that are used to describe every Christian's relationship to the person of the Holy Spirit. The first Greek preposition is the word para, P-A-R-A. It means alongside or it means with. Jesus taught this in John chapter 14. He said, and we, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you, Jesus said to the disciples, and will be with you. Well, the Holy Spirit is everywhere all at once. He's omnipresent. That's what the Bible teaches, and as a result of that, he is always present with us as Christians. The second Greek preposition is the word E-N, and it is the equivalent of our English word I-N or in. The Holy Spirit is in us as Christians. And that moment came in our life in which we confessed our sin to God and put our faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. A great miracle occurred within our lives. The Holy Spirit came into our lives, and we were born again by the Holy Spirit. That's what the spiritual birth is. And so the Holy Spirit came in at that moment. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and he said, Do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? And he uses that Greek preposition. Paul writes to the Romans, and he said, But you, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Every single Christian has the Holy Spirit in us. It is what makes us a Christian. Now, when did this experience of the Holy Spirit coming into the apostles occur? When did that happen? It happened when Jesus appeared to the disciples on the evening of his resurrection in John chapter 20. And you can just turn three pages back in your Bible to John chapter 20, and I want you to see with your own eyes the passage of when the Holy Spirit came into their lives. John chapter 20, verse 21. And then Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was already para with them, but then following Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection, with his breathing upon them, the Holy Spirit then came into their lives. But then subsequent to this, Jesus speaks to the apostles and says, don't leave Jerusalem, 
don't do anything for me until you have a third experience here or relationship, rather, with the Holy Spirit, and that is the Holy Spirit coming upon you. And that third Greek preposition is the word apai as it's used there in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and it is accurately translated as it is there in verse 8, upon. Well, what in the world is the purpose of this upon or this baptism with the Holy Spirit? Jesus tells us in verse 8, it is for the receiving of power. And the word power there in the Greek is dunamis. We get our English words dynamic from it, dynamite from it, dynamo from it. These are powerful, powerful words that come from that same Greek word. It is the provision of dynamic power by the Holy Spirit into the life of a Christian. Now, years ago, I remember when people would talk about the baptism with the Holy Spirit, and there were more divisions within the body of Christ back then. There were greater kind of walls or division between uh, Baptists and Pentecostals and mainline denominations and non-denominational churches. And these kind of um, divisions have, thankfully, in the last 20 or 30 years, uh, they've come down significantly. But uh, back in those days, when there would be this talking about the baptism with the Holy Spirit and the dynamic and the dynamite, and then people would warn and say, now listen, this, when you receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit, you don't have to be afraid that you're going to go off like dynamite or be crazy or what. And I think back in those days, maybe we had a little bit of a, a little bit of more of a Christian bubble in the United States than we have today. Today, you don't have to warn anybody away from that stuff at all. What Christian living in the world that we're living in and wants to make a difference for God is afraid of being a spiritual dynamo or being dynamic for God or spiritual dynamite? I think just the significance, the sobriety of the age makes us say, yes, I want that. I need that in my life. It is the receiving of power. But notice, too, that it is power given for a purpose. And the purpose for this power, Jesus said, is to be witnesses to me. You shall be witnesses to me. And when he says you shall, this is the power to be witnesses to me, this is more than witnessing for Jesus. Witnessing for Jesus is very significant and is very wonderful where we share the gospel with people, we hand out gospel tracts, and so forth. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. But Jesus is talking about something that is far greater in scope. It isn't the power to simply witness. It is the power to be a witness to Jesus. Witnessing, witnessing isn't something merely that I do. Jesus says it's to be something that I am. It is essentially the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to live a life that looks like Jesus, to live a life that testifies to the fact that He is living inside of me. And it's the power to live like Him, to talk like Him, to think like Him, to suffer like Him, to speak like him, to serve like him, to love in the way that he did, to live a holy life, and so forth. And I think it's very important to realize that even Jesus began his public ministry with this experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When he came to the Jordan River at 30 years of age to begin his public ministry, He's in a long line that are waiting for John the baptizer, John the Baptist, to baptize. And Jesus finally comes to the front of the line, and John, being Jesus' cousin, he protests. He says, I, what am I going to do, water baptizing you? I have need to be baptized of you. And Jesus said, let it be so for righteousness' sake. And John did it. And as Jesus came up out of that water from his water baptism, we're told that the Holy Spirit fell upon Jesus like a dove, and with the same upon experience, he began the next three and a half years of his public ministry. 
And if Jesus couldn't begin his public ministry, his life of service, significant, dynamo, dynamic, and all, without this upon of the Holy Spirit, then what hope do any of us as Christians have of being faithful without it? How much more do we need it? The terminology of the baptism with the Holy Spirit has always fascinated me, and I think it's intended to communicate it. Jesus could have tried to say, okay, this experience is such and such, but he doesn't do that. Baptism was big to the Jews, the old covenant and, and uh, significant in the new covenant. What happens when you, we've got a baptism coming up in just a couple of weeks, and here I take someone and they want to be water baptized, and I put them down in the water, fully immerse them in the water, and then they come up out of the water, and then one of the greatest sights you'll ever see in your life as a Christian occurs. They then step out of the pool, and their mom, their dad, their brothers, their sisters, their sons, their daughters, their friends come running up to them and hug them, so excited to be a part of their day. And when you hug someone who's just been baptized in water, what do you get on you? You get water on you. You get on you what you've been baptized in. And the idea in us being baptized with the Holy Spirit is so that there is an overflow out of our lives. There is such a dynamic of the Holy Spirit in our lives that for the rest of our lives, that every time anybody comes into contact with me, they will never come into contact with the old fleshly Damien Kyle, but they will now come into contact with the person of the Holy Spirit in my life. And then when they leave my presence, they won't leave tainted by some dumb thing I've said or I've done. They will leave having been influenced by the Holy Spirit. And it's a part of what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is intended to do. I don't want another piece, person in my life's history to leave my presence with more of the flesh of Damien Kyle on them. I want every one of them to leave with something of God upon their lives, and the baptism of the Holy Spirit allows that to happen. I want you to notice, too, that this baptism with the Holy Spirit provides us with the power to live the Christian life the live the Christ-like life anywhere in the world. Jesus said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. That would be comparable to home, your hometown, in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Here is the power given by the Holy Spirit to be able to live for Christ in any environment we find ourselves in in the world. No matter how pagan, no matter how dark, no matter how strong the demonic stronghold is upon a city or an apartment complex or upon a center for education or a workplace or whatever it might be, here is the power to be able to stand and to live this life in any environment within the world. Sometimes you ride, drive down Highway 5 or 99 and uh, you're listening to K-Love or something and you're going along and then pretty soon you've got it real strong in this area and then it starts to fade out and then you get down to Fresno or wherever and you've got to now start to look for, all right, what's, what's the number that that uh, you get K-Love on in Fresno, and so you start to scan the dial for it. And so often in terms of radio and this kind of things, you've got, it's very strong here, and then it weakens, and then you lose it. This, in terms of the power of the Holy Spirit within our lives, with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it never loses its strength. In any place, it holds up everywhere. It holds up in China equally well, in the Sudan equally well, in Russia equally well, in Bolivia equally well, in the United States equally well. Everywhere, every Christian, the ability to live a life like Christ and to live for Him. What an amazing, amazing promise. We don't have to wonder just as these 
uh, missionaries that we've prayed for today that have gone out and taken a step of faith. And as they got on that plane, they didn't have to wonder, God, are you going to be as strong in my life over there as you are here? I'm going to have the same ability to live for you as here. They got on the plane knowing that this, is, this power is a dynamic power that is equally dynamic anywhere we find ourselves in the world. The Holy Spirit provides us with the how, the how to live this Christian life, the how to live the life that we read about in the Bible. The Holy Spirit is the how behind the what of God's Word, and that's very important to understand. Let me tell you a story, true story, happened many years ago. And it makes this point. Many years ago, a friend of mine was having difficulty finding a church and the community that he was in, and he wanted to come and meet me for breakfast here in Modesto. And over breakfast, he began to express the difficulty that he was having trying to uh, find a church to attend within his community. And I knew a little bit about his community. I knew there were plenty of churches in town that, were, that he could go to, and I told him, listen, you just, one of them's going to be right for you. You're just being too critical about all of this. You're going to walk into one, and the Holy Spirit's going to bear witness to you that you're home, and this is right for you. And, and so just keep trying until you find that one. And then he said, no, and he said, it's not, it's, that's, it's not that. And then he said, let me tell you an illustration that, that best illustrates uh, my frustration and what I'm running into in church after church after church. And he told me a story that he said was typical of what he was running into. He said, just this last Sunday, I went to a Sunday worship service, and during the sermon, the pastor used as an illustration during the sermon a counseling session that he had had with somebody in the congregation the week before. Listen, never do that. That's a little too early uh, to, never, good, never good to use counseling sessions as an illustration, and never that soon. So he began to speak in, of this counseling session as, a, as an illustration. And the pastor told of a young woman in her mid-20s who had come in to him for counseling. I hope the church was a church of 5,000 and not a church of 25 where there's only two 20-something women. The woman came in and she talked to the pastor and said she'd become pregnant while a teenager and her mother had unrelentingly virtually forced her to have an abortion. And during that abortion, she ultimately ended up sterile. And now, not a Christian at that time, many years later as a Christian, she's struggling not only with the guilt of her sin, but also with tremendous bitterness and anger and hatred that she felt toward her mother and all of this. And my friend was probably like everybody else in the congregation. He was just amazed that the pastor would expose so intense a, a situation so recent in, in the congregation. But I'll tell you, it had everybody on the edge of their seat and everybody was thinking the same thing. What in the world did you tell this young woman in the light of what she's just laid out to you? And he didn't have to wait long for his curiosity to be satisfied. The pastor told the whole congregation that he had simply told the young woman that she just had to forgive her mother. My friend said, I almost flew out of my seat. Now, my friend's about six foot four, probably about 230 pounds, not an ounce of fat on him. And... Um, CHP at the time. Uh, he could break the neck of any pastor I know, including myself, in less than seven seconds. The 
The pastor made no mention of God providing her with the how behind the what. No mention of how God would provide her with the power and the ability to forgive. No mention of forgiving her mother in response to the tremendous forgiveness that God had extended to her. No mention of forgiving her mother in order to be a witness and a representative of a forgiving God within this world. And I told him, listen, you've, surely you've made a mistake. You dozed off a little bit. And, and, and he, there was something that he mentioned in this, this regard. And, and, and somehow he didn't just tell her what her responsibility was to do and to forgive, but also gave the why and the how behind God's command. My friend said, no, this is completely accurate, the account that he had just shared with me. And what was his great frustration? Was the pastor wrong in what he said? Mm -mm. No, what he said was absolutely correct as far as it went. The problem is it didn't go far enough because without explaining the how of God's Holy Spirit behind the what of God's Word, he left the woman and the congregation with the idea that we are to live this Christian life in the strength of our own flesh, that somehow God has written this wonderful large book to us that is filled with commandments. He's revealed His will to us, and now what Christianity is is that we roll up our own sleeves and we dive into it and we obey all of, us, all of this in our own strength and in our own self-discipline. And I'll tell you, that's a very, very common perception of Christianity, even among many, many Christians. But all that will ever do is produce very frustrated and very, very condemned Christians. And one of those very, very frustrated and very, very condemned Christians opened his mouth in the book of Romans, chapter 7. And you remember the frustrated cry there of this man trying to live the Christian life in the strength of his flesh and his frustration expressed in verse 19, for the good that I will to do, I do not do, and the evil that I do not want to do, that I practice. And what Christian hasn't known some part of their life and lived it in that particular place? The good that I want to do, I do not do. The evil that I don't want to do, that is my practice. And the source of his frustration was how to perform what is good. I've got the head knowledge. It's in my noggin. I know my Bible. I see the life that's described there. I want to live it every minute of my life. I just don't know how to do it. And he declares in verse 18, For I know that in me, that in my flesh, nothing good dwells. Oh, I've got that clear. For to will is present with me. But how to perform what is good, I do not find. And finally realizing that he cannot live this Christian life in his own strength, he cries out for help, for some help way beyond himself. And in verse 24, he said, O wretched man that I am, who will somebody please, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he goes on to speak of the who, who did deliver him. In Romans chapter 8, a chapter that is filled with a description of the person and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. 
And it is a horrible, miserable Christianity to be stuck in Romans chapter 7 and never get to Romans chapter 8. Thinking the idea is that God has now saved me and put all of these commandments in the book and now it is up to me to obey them in my own strength. There's hardly anything more frustrating in all of life than attempting to live the Christian life as it's described in the Bible, the what of God's Word without the how of the Holy Spirit. And behind the what of God's Word and all of the glorious what of God's Word, behind every encouragement and every command, there is the how of the Holy Spirit. I think it's so important to realize that Christianity is not the imitation of Jesus and the strength of our flesh, but rather that it is the impartation of the Holy Spirit into our lives to now live the life of Christ through us. Christianity is not imitation. It is impartation. And allow me to illustrate it in this way. I wonder what the weather is in San Francisco today. Cooler than here, for sure. But sometimes you can go to San Francisco. You say, well, it's 100 degrees here, and I think I'll go over there, and I think I'll just need a light sweater. And you get over there, and the fog has come in, and you buy two sweatshirts and eight jackets just to stay. What a racket they got going on there, right? So you go to the, one of the great iconic landmarks of San Francisco, and there it is, the Golden Gate Bridge. You come to the edge of one of the, of the entrances to the bridge, and there's a man painting. And he's got his easel set up in his canvas, and all of his paints are out in his brushes, and he is painting the Golden Gate Bridge and the city skyline in the background. And you look at that, and you say, man, I want to do that. You pull out your phone, and... You Google to find out where the nearest art store is, and you race over there, and you buy an easel just like his, and a canvas just like his, and brushes just like his, and paints just like his, and you come back, and you set everything up right next to his, and every time he mixes two colors together, you do the same thing, and with every brush that he puts of paint upon the canvas, you imitate him in the same way, and over and over and over, and again, it goes on for hours. And at the end of the day, the crowd comes and gathers around the two paintings, and they are ooing and awing at this man's painting, the beauty of what he's been able to capture. And then they look over at my painting, and all they can do is snicker and laugh and say, what a poor, poor imitation of what we see right there. And as I'm confronted with the same fact in looking at the contrast between the two, the quality of the two things, suddenly it dawns on me that the only way that I will ever be able to paint a painting like that man just painted is if that man comes into my life and paints it through me. And that's the Christian life. It is the Spirit of Christ coming into our lives, providing us with the will to do and the power to do to live that Christ-like life in us and through us. And this is not only important to understand for Christians, but if you are not yet a Christian, it's important for you to understand this as well. I think of how many people are given a Bible and say, here's this Bible now. This is what God's Word is to you, and, and you need to live this thing. And they start to read the Bible, and they don't know anything about God or the Holy Spirit or anything. I mean, God could do miracles and all, but if they look through and they look at the commandments and they look at this and they look at that, I think that most of them would just close the thing up. 
as much as they would admire the life that is here, as much as they may see the virtue and the nobility of every single commandment, they would look at that and say, that is a wonderful, lofty goal for any person's life, but I have no capacity at all to live the life that's described in that book. And if that's what it takes to be a Christian, I'm out. I'll say, uncle, now, I don't need to invest three months into it to be a failure. I'll tell you right now I'll be a failure. And it's important for a person who's not yet a Christian to realize that God gives us not only the what of His Word, the glorious what of His Word, but then He couples it with the how of His Holy Spirit to then to be able to live the majesty of the life that is found within the book. The painter, he will come into your life, and he's the one that will produce the quality of life that you would never otherwise know. Well, this, all of this raises, and I close with this, the critical question of how do we then receive this baptism with the Holy Spirit? And it is received. Notice verse 8. But you shall receive power. It's something that's received. Receive is a gift word. It's not a, it, 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 it's a, it, it's a, um, a, a non-earning word. It doesn't say that in order to receive this experience, you're going to have, okay, give me a thousand push-ups right now. Or I want to picture you on the top of the Himalayas. And I mean, no photoshopping. There's got to be a real deal here. Or you've got to huff and puff and blow a house down or something like that. No, you can't earn it. You can't work for it. It's received. And how do I receive it? By simply asking God for it. It's there for the asking. Jesus told us as much in Luke chapter 11. They're going to put a passage up here. And I'm going to read it with you so you can see that Jesus tells you it's just something you ask for and then you receive. Jesus spoke to the disciples, and he said, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For anyone who asks, everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be open. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, would you give him a stone? Of course not. And if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Of course not. Or if he asks for an egg, will a father offer him a scorpion? Of course not. If you then, as fathers, being evil in comparison to Jesus and God, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who, everybody, ask Him. He gives it to us just for the asking. And we receive it by just simply, sincerely asking God, would you baptize me with your Holy Spirit and give me the power to live the life like my hero, like my Savior, like my Jesus that I read about here in the Scriptures, and He will do it. Jesus never fails to answer that question. Remember the baptism with the Holy Spirit? It is all His idea. He is eager to give it to us. Just by saying something like, Heavenly Father, I ask for this power of the Holy Spirit in my life, I don't want to be in Romans chapter 7 anymore. I've been there and I've done that. I don't want to try and do this in my strength anymore, the emptiness and the frustration of it. Lord, I want what this man has been talking about this morning here. I want you to come in and your Holy Spirit to come upon me, baptize me with your Holy Spirit, and give me the power to live a life like Christ in every environment I might find myself in in the world, and then he will give it to us. And no Christian is the same after that prayer as they were before that prayer. And do not make one of the biggest mistakes that people make in this regard. Sometimes in holiness circles of Christianity, they will be careful to remind us that God is a, that the Holy Spirit is a holy spirit. And he won't just come into any old vessel. He'll only come into a holy vessel 
So make yourself holy for the Holy Spirit. If I could make myself holy, I wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. That is to frustrate people off of the graph. The baptism with the Holy Spirit is so that we can come to Him with all of our inabilities, all of our frustrations, all of our recognition and admission that we cannot live this in and of ourselves and to receive that from Him. Never buy that other lie. We need the baptism with the Holy Spirit to become holy. It's one of the purposes for it. We come as we are with our need and pray that simple prayer, and God is faithful then to provide it to us. Now I close, truly I close, by showing you one other passage where Jesus addresses the dynamic of the Holy Spirit that he wants to mark our lives as Christians in John chapter 7, and that's up on the screen as well. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and he cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet, had not yet died on the cross and was buried and rose again. And Jesus describes the baptism with the Holy Spirit. He describes the relationship that he wants each and every one of us to have as Christians as a torrent of living water coming out of our own innermost being, a river of living water. It isn't just enough of the Holy Spirit to fill me, but to impact the world all around us, where we become spiritual drinking fountains in a world that is a wilderness and spiritually thirsty. So when they come into contact with us, they come into contact with the Holy Spirit within our lives. And he talks about it being rivers of living water. Think about the rivers of the world today and what they will do physically for the world. Think about the Mississippi. Think about the Ohio River. Think about the Rhine. Think about the Nile. Think about the Jordan River. Think about the Amazon River. Think about all of the rivers of the world and the physical refreshment and good they will do in the world today. And Jesus is saying that he wants his whole body to have this experience of the baptism with the Holy Spirit so that our lives will be the flow of a great spiritual river into the world that we are a part of. And it can only come from us, the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And so if you sit here as a Christian, privacy of your heart, And your Christian experience with the Holy Spirit is not one of having a torrent of living water coming out of your innermost being. Jesus wants you to know that there is a relationship with his Holy Spirit to be experienced that is greater than the one that you've experienced and that he wants to bless you with that. And he doesn't want a single one of us to live below that fullness of what it is that he has provided for us in the person of the Spirit. I'd like us to pray right now. And I just want to simply ask, spirit of prayer, privacy of your own heart, if you sit here today and you say, I need this baptism of the Holy Spirit, I am in Romans chapter 7 and I am beating my brains out there. I am so frustrated and angry. And I never knew any of these things about the Holy Spirit. Or you might be a person where you've known all of this is a dynamic in your life at another time, but now there's no trickle even coming out of your life. Or you just sit here today and you say, this is the first time I've ever heard this. And I want this. I want this for my life. I want the how behind the what. 
I want the power to live a life like Christ in any environment that God puts me in. And if that's you this morning, I ask you just raise your hand right where it is that you're seated so I can know who I'm praying with in just a moment. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer and pray for you. Just raise your hand up high so I can see you. God bless 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 you. So, God bless you. So many. God bless you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now you just pray after me. Jesus said, ask. He said, ask. And he's going to do it. Heavenly Father, thank you for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Thank you that it's your idea. Thank you that it's your gift to me. And you said, if we being evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will you Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. And so I ask right now, baptize me with your Holy Spirit. Jesus, give me the fullness of the life that is mine because of your death, burial, and resurrection and your ascension to the right hand of the Father. Help me not to live one inch below the full majesty and wonder of the life that is mine because of you. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to pray for you. Lord, we pray for these men and women. We pray for these sons and daughters of yours, our brothers and our sisters. And we pray, Lord, that as they leave this room today that you just confirm your promises and confirm your word with accompanying signs and wonders. We pray that the Bible will explode to life in a whole new way for them, that Jesus will become closer and more intimate in a whole new way, that they will experience a desire to live a Christ-like life and then the power to do it in environments, Lord, in which it's just been one long series of failures. And so bless them now as they have reached out and asked from you. You have given it to them, Lord. Now take them by the hand in the life of faith of now walking in the beauty of this promise of yours. We thank you as a church body today for the baptism with the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, for the wonder of his ministry and what it is that he has done in us. Thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.